the show. My guest is Scott Palmer. And um, Scott, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join the program. I really appreciate it. Well, you're more than welcome. I'm looking forward to it, Brian. Thank you. Uh, now, it's interesting. I always try to research these programs. and You learn something new all the time. Now, I, of course, <laughs> growing up in Philadelphia, have known Scott Palmer for many years. Uh, first, as a broadcaster, watching him on Channel 6 before I even got into broadcasting. Uh, he was a sportscaster for the ABC affiliate in Philadelphia. And then later on, I got into broadcasting, got to meet him uh, in, in different situations. And then um, after Scott retired from Channel 6, he took on a second fascinating career working with the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies. So when you, when you talk about somebody um, who's had an interesting career, it's great. So I thought that would be enough. But, of course, I do a little research, and you actually played some minor league ball. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> well, some, some might be an exaggeration, Brian. I played one game of minor league baseball. Uh, I was in Asheville, North Carolina at the time, working at the ABC station there. And the general manager of the team thought it would be a great idea if I would come and uh, work out with the team uh, three times a week in full uniform and do stories about life in the minor leagues. It would uh, end up uh, as a one-game uh position in the Asheville Tourist uh, starting lineup. They were a Texas Rangers affiliation in A-ball. And so I had to sign a professional contract, believe it or not. I'm a member of the Major League or Professional Baseball Players of America. Uh, and and my, uh, my wealth as a minor league baseball player was $1 for every practice and a hot dog after the practice was over. So I did... Uh, I did about three weeks of the, of the three-a-days, and, and I could hit batting practice pitching fairly well. But I'd never seen anything like I was going to see that one night against the Spartanburg Phillies of all teams. So I get in there, and there's this pitcher. He's about 6'5", and the manager from Sparty had told me he's a prospect. Well, I didn't know it. It, it was uh, Marty Bystrom. Oh, Marty Bystrom. I recall, you can tell me if I'm right, he came up. In 1980, and he went like five and zero in September in their championship year, or something like that. He was really you bad. are correct, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, but in a ball, he was a control pitcher, and the manager said, "I'm going to pitch him because you know I want to make sure that you stay healthy, and uh, he's not wild. He won't hit you, but you get an idea of what a prospect is like." Uh, and the catcher was Ozzy Virgil of all oh you know, people. So wow. I had a future major league battery. Uh, and so I, again, I had never seen a pitch. I, I took the first one because I wanted to see it. I didn't so much see it, Brian, as I heard it. It made this sound like that. Wow. And I wasn't sure it, 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 you know, I didn't think it was a strike. So I took it. I was going to take it anyway. And the umpire said strike one. And I knew better than to turn around and look at him. But I put one foot out of the box and kind of shuffled and said, that sounded a little low, don't you think? He had no sense of humor. He said, get back in the box, rookie. Uh, second pitch, I started early, and I fouled it off in the first base dugout. And, you know, another one. He wasn't wasting time with me. He wasn't going to worry about me. And, and so I was 0-2, uh, and I said, just start a little bit sooner, and don't you know, here comes Uncle Charlie. I still have back aches on rainy days from the way I twisted myself into a pretzel trying to hit that ball. So I got two, two at-bats. The second one, I popped up as a bunt. Got one play in the field. I dove for it. it all or nothing. I missed it, but it didn't hit my glove, so it went as a double. So it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was it was uh, a blast. And well, it you, gave me a great appreciation. You must have played some baseball in your life 
to be able to even do that, I've got to believe. I did. I played in high school, but I was pretty much a punch and Judy hitter. I was a catcher, uh, and I could shag fly balls if it was easy up in the air. I could, I could track a ball. But yeah, I mean, I I, I really enjoyed the three weeks of of going to the practices and and talking with the guys uh, even more so than I did the game. The game is an experience I'll never forget. But uh, being with those guys and seeing how they live and and knowing that maybe only two out of 100 are ever going to get a cup of coffee uh, in the show, it really made me appreciate their game. Yeah, I got to believe, too, while we're talking a little bit with sports, the the level of the athlete, I mean, they probably, I'm sure, all of them probably are superior athletes, and they don't even get a taste uh, of the major leagues. No, and there's several reasons why injuries play a role, obviously. And and I always look at it as a pyramid, Brian, that, you know, your the best players in your city are here. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of winds its way up to where just a few of those will ever have a chance to sign a professional baseball contract or play um, uh, college baseball. And the pyramid just keeps getting, you know, thinner and thinner until there's only, like I say, two out of 100 that probably have been signed to a professional baseball contract by a major league team and, and ever get a, a taste of major league baseball. Uh, the washout rate is very high. So I give those guys credit, most of all, because they're following their dream. You know, they don't make any money. The guys who are drafted high have their their bonus, their signing bonus, so they live well. Uh, but most of the guys are there for the love of the game. Well, you know what I liked about reading this article about your story and hearing it from you was so much better than just reading something. <laughs> but, but reading it, it was the, 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 the story, and you may even know it, it kind of talked about how you kind of went through your own minor league career yeah. in broadcasting, so to speak. I always used to tell people, you know, I got to break in in Philadelphia, which only because I was a doctor and only because they would accept less of a professionalism from a broadcast standpoint from somebody who was in that area. And Don't and I, sell yourself short. You're, I see those Emmys back there. I'm very jealous. <laughs> well, I, I try to learn over time, but the thing was most people who I worked with like you, they were in Boise, they were in Spartansburg, they were, they were all over and learned, earned their craft and then got to Philly. So you make it to Philly, I believe 1982 is what I believe, and it sounds right. And you're on the number one station, which frankly, for the rest of the country, uh, Action News has probably been number one before you got there, years after you left there. It just oh, is yeah. number one. It's like the radio station I work for. They, it's just KWW News Radio, Action News, Philly. <laughs> and it just, no matter what everybody else does, they dominate. So you got there, and, and you obviously had a wonderful career there. What was the best part of being a uh, sportscaster? Because you were an anchor, you were on the desk in uh, at a very high-rated station. Uh, I think I always wanted to be a broadcaster uh, from the moment that I was, you know, uh, probably eight or nine years old, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd run home uh, from school and uh, see the last few innings. I grew up outside Chicago and would watch the last few innings of the Cubs game, you know, run off to uh, Little League practice and watch the White Sox at night. But in between that, if the news was on, I'd watch the news. And not many nine-year-olds watch local news. Uh, and and I was fascinated by it. I thought, that's what I really want to do. But I I never thought I could, never thought I would, never thought there'd be a position open. Uh, and I wasn't the best student, honestly, in high school. I had a, a learning disability. And it kept me back, and I didn't really learn how to study until college. Uh, but once I got to Western Illinois University uh, and saw a sign uh, in the library that said, if you're interested 
in, it might've been the only time I went to the library actually thinking about it. But if you're interested in, in uh, starting a campus uh, cable television station, uh, report to this room at this time. And I went and before I knew it, I, I learned I could major in, in broadcasting. I did and uh, I, I still remember, you know, having to do shows, having to create shows, like Curly the Clown Show with, uh, you know, the old, old TV equipment that the University of Illinois would pass down to us. But a medium close-up is a medium close-up. It doesn't make any difference how good the equipment is. So I learned it in college and, you know, I had a brief stint in the Navy for, for two years, uh, thanks to a, a number seven in the first draft lottery. Uh, enlisted in the Navy, they said, well, you work behind a microphone, so you'll be an air traffic controller. The ultimate wisdom of the government. I would not have been a good air traffic controller, honestly. Uh, but I was able to uh, kind of switch gears, uh, take a direct commission to public affairs officer, uh, end my commitment in the Navy, and then start my broadcasting career, as you said, in small market television. And so you move along, you're obviously at Action News, and, and you're doing those things. I remember, if I'm not mistaken, I also used to see you anchor every now and then, too, like the, the hard news yes. that is doing the sports bar, I recall. Yeah, I, I did get a, an opportunity to do that, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, being uh, a sportscaster, I always looked at it like you can go in the cockpit and the, the pilot will let you, you know, sit there for a little while and watch the airplane. But when you're an anchor and you're anchoring the show from the news side, you know, you're at the controls of that that aircraft. and. You know, if you're going through turbulence and things aren't going well, you got to find a way to get around it. And that was that was really fascinating to me. And I and I really did like, again, being on television. And when you're an anchor from the news anchor, you're on television more. So, you know, you can uh, grow. I think I had a chance to grow better, but grow more anyway. My first morning, I was hoping that Sunday morning I started out and I was hoping there would be a, a news story rather than what usually happens on the weekend morning is a regurgitation of sorts of the Friday night 11 or Saturday night 11, as the case may be. And my first broadcast was the morning the Lady Diana lost her life. Oh, wow. Uh, and and I, I, you know, be careful what you wish for. You know, that was nonstop. That was baptism by fire. Um, but it was uh, very, very much a challenge. And, and what I learned from, and I really did enjoy the anchoring part of my job, as I did sports, I had the best of both worlds. You know, two personal follow-ups to that. I remember in the night Lady Diana, because I, I was, of all things, calling into KYW, and I was going to give them live information about some heart study. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you got to go. I'll call back in a few minutes. And then they're like, Doc, we can't talk to you. And then I turned on the TV. I said, oh, my God, why are you clogging their line with this? But the, what I remember yeah. about the anchoring thing, I never anchored, but the one time I did was by accident, the O.J. Simpson chase. Um, oh, boy. Like, well, they had anchors and they were doing things. They bring me down to the set to talk about what's going through OJ's mind or what he's thinking. Because at that point, as you can imagine, they're hours into this and they're saying, oh, we got Doc here. We'll throw him out there. We'll try to come up with something. And they were going back and forth with Larry King. Because at the time, mm -hmm. my in Fox and Philadelphia Channel 29 wasn't Fox. It was just a CNN affiliate. And they're mm -hmm. going back and forth with Larry, running Larry. Well, the two anchors who have been there forever literally left use the the bathroom and i'm out there on set waiting for them to come back and larry king does one of these well, let's throw it back to our local stations <laughs> and all of a sudden i'm starting to talk about you know right now the police have circled around oj simpson they should not approach the thing they should not you do not you do not want he has a gun and 
whatever the situation, it's not a police move to do this. And I talked for about five minutes and then the anchors rushed back and I kind of got to sit back. And that, that actually is on YouTube because everything, nothing dies. And that, and my no. daughter, who's 30, said, Dad, I, I didn't know you were in the OJ. And I said, where did you see that? And of course, <laughs> they found it. Well, the funny part right. of the story that I always remember, because to your point, like I'm going home that night and uh, my dad calls my cell phone back when you had to pick him up. And, and I go, what's right. up? Because I was watching you. How did you know the police should not approach the car? I went, <laughs> I thought they shouldn't. He goes, you didn't know? I go, I was out there. It was five minutes. It seemed logical. I wasn't making the decision for the police. And he goes, well, it was very impressive. <laughs> and I, it turned out it was the right guess. But sure. But the point of being an anchor, though, is you can't afford to do that. Like, in your case, you had to know because you're the trusted anchor. Kind of, people kind of knew, well, it's the doctor. He's out there. He's obviously helping out. But in that yeah. situation, as an anchor, like you said, you are you are the controls because if anything goes off the rails, I've seen it. You have to bring it back. You do, and, and that meant making sure that I not only paid attention to what was happening in sports in Philadelphia, but also you know politics and uh, you know city government and, and crime and fires, and you, you make sure that you watch the, the late news, uh, you know, on on Friday night or, or eventually we did a Saturday show too. But the night before, you'd make sure you'd watch so you get your pronunciations right. That was always that was always important, and and you had a kind of a feel of what was happening, and then you just held, you know, held on to breaking news the best you could, and and try to steer your way through it. A couple more Channel Six questions before we move on. I had the opportunity. Sure. It's so nice of him. Uh, it, it, you know, Jim Gardner is retiring soon, and he actually took time to join the program. What a gentleman and what a professional. What was it yes. like to work with him? He's the consummate professional. Uh, he he would be your best baseball manager because he would make sure that everybody had a chance to be in the position that was best for them and best for the broadcast. And he had such a high level of integrity that you didn't dare come to him with a story unless you had all your sources uh, lined up and you knew that you were good because once you gave it to Jim, it was in his hands. And if something went wrong, you know, he was, he was out there in front. You would eventually get the blame. He was, he could be hard. Uh, he was demanding, he had good sense of humor. He was a sports, he is a sports fan. He, don't let him tell you he's a Phillies fan. I think he really is still a Yankees fan, but that's okay. He's a baseball <laughs> fan, which is important. Um, but he's, and, and a nice, nice guy. But, but he was in control of that show, every part of that show. Uh, he wrote all the lead-ins. I don't know how many anchors still write a good amount of, of the, the, the broadcast. Jim wrote a good amount of the broadcast. He, he looked at all the stories before on tape before they back in the tape world before digital. He looked at all the video of the stories before they wow. went on the air to make sure that they held up to his standards. And uh, he was a good cheerleader. When something went well, uh, he would give you an attaboy. And when you got an attaboy from Jim Gardner, you got you got really you know your chest kind of puffed up. He said, "Hey, I must have done something right." Yeah, I even when I interviewed him just doing the show, and he's like, "Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed this." And I'm like, "Wow." He really enjoyed it. Like, oh, it, no, he's a classy guy. Harder. Yeah, it's a credibility. And it is, by the way, and for those, again, who are watching it up in Philadelphia, I think it's at least, it's probably four. He told me uh, when he started, I think it was 75 or 76, he started yeah. and it's been really the number one anchor there 
for all that time, which is in a competitive market like Philadelphia, that, that really says something. And uh, he, he's, I would say, for older people, he's like a Walter Cronkite uh, type of a figure for those who you know remember. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Brian. He is maybe the last of, of that breed, although I do uh, have friends who are who are anchoring now in the city, and I and, and I give them a lot of credit for like guys like Yuki Washington, who've been around an awfully long time. Yuki's a personal friend, and I enjoy I enjoy opening my wallet to him on the golf course. Actually, I don't enjoy that part of it, but uh, no, there there are some very fine anchors, but I think they broke the mold uh, after after the Jim Gardner model. So it was about 15 years ago you decided. Did you just leave Action News, or did you leave Action News take some time and come to the Phillies, or did you make sure how transition? That's a that's a very good question, and I can tell you, looking back uh, back to 2005, actually before that, I signed my last contract in uh, 2001. It was a four-year deal, as all of my contracts were. It's pretty standard. Uh, I don't know if it is now, but it was pretty standard for us. Yeah. And and I, I was going to not sign my last contract, and in 2001, I, I thought about going to work for the Phillies. And it went so far as to a couple of meetings with David Montgomery and a chance to uh, help design, if you could. Maybe that's too strong a word because David's fingerprints were all over that ballpark. Uh, at least have a hand in the new ballpark. And that was very tempting. And I thought about leaving broadcasting at that time, but I still felt like I had a little bit more time in me that uh, there were some more things I wanted to do. The anchoring looked like it might open up, news anchoring. It didn't, which is fine. Uh, but I wanted to wait those four years, and David gave me a pretty good assurance that um, in another four years, if I still felt that way, uh, that I could uh, perhaps come to work for them uh, at that time. Uh, so I came to work. Uh, I, I left television. I knew I that was my last contract, Brian. I knew, uh, you know, I just done about as much as I could do. You get to that spot, uh, place in your life where you've done a job for 35 years overall in broadcasting, 25 years at the same station. And I just, I could have stayed, I could have done a good job and I could have kept cashing nice checks, but at the same time, uh, I would have been cheating myself. So I left with the idea that I was going to take some time off. We, my wife and I love to travel. We went to a few national parks out West and just kind of detoxed, if you will, from the whole, you know, craziness of broadcasting. Came back home. We talked about it for a while. A couple weeks later, I called David, and uh, he was gracious enough to bring me on as a consultant and said, if you're not absolutely god-awful, maybe you can stick around. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was going to do. It was the crazy part uh, because they offered me a chance to be uh, in, in charge of the broadcast department, but I had only been – you're like a doctor. You don't – manage i wouldn't think a lot of people you pretty much manage yourself right, right brian that was me and all of a sudden i'm looking at all these spreadsheets and salaries and all these local affiliates that i have to take care of and i said you know i respectfully tell you this is a bad decision we shouldn't go down that road and then larry shank was retiring and they gave me an opportunity to, to you know do that and once again i saw all the uh, i saw the knights more than anything else involved every game till the end and I, again, I saw managing people and I said, you know, you guys can just let me go now. If you, if you, if I know I've turned down two jobs, if you want to say, thanks a lot, but we don't have anything for you. Thanks very much for letting me be here for a year. Yeah. But fortunately we started winning 
at that same time. And all these other opportunities came up with fan engagement and hosting news conferences and broadcast opportunities. And next thing I know, uh, uh, next thing I knew, I was I was busy all the time, uh, as well as doing work with media relations and hanging around the clubhouse and trying to learn about baseball, which is the main reason I wanted to take this job in the first place. I love baseball. And, and there are many jobs that you can have where you can go into a, a clubhouse. And I always love the clubhouse, too. It's not a locker room. It's a clubhouse like when you're a kid. You go in the clubhouse and you can talk to the players who are at the best. Uh, they are the best of their breed, if you will. And, and I didn't understand this last night. Can you explain why this happened? And they would explain it to me. And I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. And, um, you know, only recently have I downsized a little bit. I'm 72 now, and I, I realize that life doesn't go on forever. So um, I asked if I could uh, perhaps have another role. And now I'm an ambassador, which means I'm primarily uh, focused uh, on fan engagement, which I've always done. We just came back on a trip from St. Louis with fans. Great time. Uh, and, and also charities. And I love our charitable arm at the Phillies. I just think that uh, people there who work in that division are some of the most selfless people I've ever met. And I see the good that gets done in the community because of Phillies charities. And that's enough to to keep that's me interested yeah. uh, for a while longer. What a great opportunity. I know. I mean, first of all, anybody who says an ambassador, like who doesn't want to be at the end of their career, the final playing out of an ambassador? I mean, that's just amazing, especially with an organization you love. And again, um, I've been a Sunday fan. I mean, I, the years, most of the years with Fox back in Veterans Stadium, I don't think I ever paid for a ticket because the attendance wasn't that great most years. And we had a Fox. Uh -huh. And so I just go take the kids. The kids grew up and thought the Simpsons were on the door of uh, Fox and we would just go in and watch games. But once we went to the new park, I said, you know, we're going to get some tickets. And we've been the Sunday plan since the very first year. But, oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that on behalf of the club. Uh, I was a Sunday season ticket holder from the time we came to Philadelphia, actually, in 81. And uh, our kids were raised on the Sunday plan. Yeah, it is. Nothing well, better. And this, by the way, this is, a, this is a podcast that we can pay for this. But I will tell you, the Sunday plan is spectacular. We're under, we're on the first base side underneath an awning, so I don't get the direct sun all the time. Good. You know, and, but the point is, all the kids, they went from that to these seats. And we have, you know, you're a fan in Philadelphia. There's a lot of places to go. That is their favorite event. But what it is, and it comes across, it's the family atmosphere. It's the, yeah. it's clearly intended to be that way, and it's worked on, and and it makes it a lot of fun. I mean, my, my son is 28. I mean, it's going to happen again this August, whether he likes it or not. He always has to get his name on the scoreboard and then have that confetti thrown on his head. <laughs> it's outstanding. Good for him. I, I video it every year, and he now just kind of sits there looks at me because he's got to do it. He has no choice. But it, but it started when, it, you know, 2004, you know, you're talking about at that time, talking about an eight-year-old daughter. It means a lot to a kid that age. Sure. But then yeah. it happens year after year. So if it doesn't happen, uh, it's odd. But And the year that uh, during the pandemic, that was a very strange year because you missed that outlet. Uh, I mean, so many people did. I got to ask you a couple tough questions. And, and this is, it isn't okay. how you would handle it because now you're an ambassador, you don't really have to mm -hmm. handle it. But um, baseball players are a unique breed. I remember working at Fox, they, the sports guys would always, to a lot of them, would say, You're lucky you don't get to know pro athletes. You get to watch them. You know, you, you sometimes know too much about them. 
So recently, and it's just an example because it just happened. We're taping this in July of uh, 22. Um, uh, JT Real Muto didn't travel to Correct. Canada because he's not vaccinated. I'm not getting into that issue, but he made a comment. Well, you know, it's only uh, 260000 or whatever he said. It's it's not that much money. Yeah, I know. So, so from that standpoint, I don't care who you are. Most people, 99.9% of people, $260,000 is life-changing or at least consistently with a better life. How would you have handled advising him? Because I know the sportscaster is doing the story. You know, you're, yeah, you're, sure. you're doing the story. But you also probably know the guy, and you're going, oh, my God, what kind of look is this? And knowing mm -hmm. Philadelphia fans and knowing if he isn't going to hit, all that can come. How do you deal with that? I mean, what, how would you advise him? Well, I, I, I'm in contact with fans, and, and uh, that story was kept pretty much under wraps. Uh, writers knew it, but they didn't want to write it until the Phillies released it. You know, they didn't want to get ahead of themselves. Uh, but I, I, if it would have happened a couple of days earlier, I would have been with 120 fans in St. Louis, and I'm sure I would have got asked the question. Uh, now, when I see neighbors or whatever, and, and that comes up, it's usually more about the vaccination status, to be honest with you. But the money is, is a little bit different. And it, it, I look at these guys as top of their field entertainer athletes. And the entertaining world, I mean, what what is $290,000 of Tom Cruise? I mean, that's mm -hmm. tipping money, probably. It's, it's just when you grow up with it, I think you become jaded. Uh, when you're making that much money, uh, it's, it's, I call it stupid money. I, I don't want to tell anybody how to spend their money or sure. it's not my job, but I, I kind of wish that players would have a little bit of, uh, a filter, uh, before they would say something like that. Uh, now I also know that JT Realmuto is very charitable minded. So there's that side of it as well, that fans wouldn't know, mm -hmm. uh, that it, everything he does in the community. Uh, but every once in a while, you're, you're dealing with a situation like that. I'll give you one, and I'm going to pat one of my colleagues on the back here, Brian. Uh, I had a, a good friend uh, named Eric Gregg, who you might remember, National League umpire. Interviewed him once on a, for a story. Wonderful. You wonderful man. Wonderful man. Uh, and a great family man. And uh, one of his sons, Kevin, I used to go over to their house on Mimi Circle. I remember that in Ballacanley. And, and, um, Kevin was playing video games. Well, Kevin went to work for the Sixers. Then he came to work for the Phillies. He got a great offer to go to Boston and become a vice president. He rejoined us a couple of years ago. And he's just the best of the best at what he does. Remember when Alec Bohm made that terrible comment mm -hmm. about, I hate, I hate it here when he was having right. a really bad game. And the camera caught it. Right. And uh, Kevin was the first person in the clubhouse that he knew what he had done because his phone was blowing up, got a couple of veterans together, took them off in the corner and said, look, there's no way you can get out of this. The best thing you can do now is to be accountable. How few people in the society anymore are accountable for their, their misjudgments sure. their mistakes. And, and he answered every, answered every question directly, said, that's the way I felt right then. It wasn't the right thing to say. I don't hate it here. I actually love Philadelphia. I love the fans. Said it with sincerity. And the next, the next game, he came out, he got a standing ovation. Absolutely. When is that ever happening? Right. But because he, he went with it. You know, it's interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm not a media consultant, but I was working in the media. Uh, my, my little hospital where I work, there was a Legionnaire's issue. So the president of the hospital said to me, you know, what are we going to do? Brian, can we ask you a question? I said, it's, it's outside. It's a water truck. I said, I would bring everybody down. 
I would be full disclosure. I would say this is where it is. We're controlling it. This is who's gotten ill or not gotten ill. This is what we're trying to do. And they'll be there for one day. You'll have a press conference and it's over. I said, or right. you can say nothing and somebody's going to find it out. And then it becomes an investigative report. And then people are camping out for weeks, wondering what else yeah. they're hiding. And, and sure enough, they, they explained what happened. It's a water tower. These things happen. And of course, Legionnaires was in Philadelphia of all places. It's, it still has sure. a reputation. But, but the point was, this is who I, there's, this person's not sick. This person isn't. We've got to control. It became a non-story. I actually think the Alec Bohm thing as a fan made me like him even more. Cause I said, you know what? I don't know what I would have done at his age. I don't know if I've been mature enough, first of all, to handle all they have to handle, <laughs> but on top That's of the other thing, they are young. Yeah. All these guys are young. And he, and the fact he said that, I think he'll, I think people will always have his back now in Philly, of course, at most Eastern <laughs> as long as he's, as long as he's still hitting Brian, he'll have a lot of fans. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. But no, I agree with you. You always want to play offense. You don't want to play defense. Right. Defense is never good in public relations. Yeah, uh, or media relations, as the case may be, with with uh, athletes. So here you are. It seems like it's worked out incredibly for you. You're you're a nice guy, and I love when nice things happen to nice people. But any regrets? Anything you wish you had done and differently? That's really kind of you. Thank you. Uh, but I, 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 you know, that's what makes me. I always say one of the luckiest guys, and I, I don't think I have. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we just did our fifth. We just had a fiftieth anniversary. Uh, we honeymooned at Disney World, and now with our two children, we went back to Disney 50 years later. Had an unbelievable um, second honeymoon, 50th anniversary. Uh, so lucky in love, you know, that's really important. Uh, I got a chance to experience broadcasting at different levels. Each level is, is, uh, was a place that I learned from. I had great experiences at, at all of them. I, you know what? I might not have quarterbacked the Wofford football team. Now that I think about it, I was the sportscaster that, you know, Scott does things. I drove in a couple of dirt track uh, stock car races under Crash Palmer. That was kind of fun. I rode a bull in the rodeo. I got kicked in the ankle and I go to the hospital. That wasn't the smartest thing I did either. But uh, the Wofford deal was you got four plays, first and goal to ten. Uh, our offense is better than our defense, and you're probably going to score. Well, I knew the coach, and I should have known better, but he had a little trick up his sleeve. He told his offensive line that after I got the snap, which I learned how to take a snap, I was not a great football player, uh, he said, guys, we're going to do the lookout block. And that's where we all turn around and look out for the guy running past you on their way to Scott. And, you know, everybody knows that the camera was on me. So I got the snap. I couldn't, I took one step back and all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. Now this is still Wofford College. It's not Ohio State. Those guys are all, you know, 200 pounds, 225 pounds, maybe more. And I mean, I'm sure I was knocked unconscious. Bam, 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 bam. And, and it was a muddy day. They had to lift my helmet. My face mask was in the mud. Lift me up like this. Uh, and I finished uh, by throwing the touchdown pass. Uh, I think they probably re released their coverage a little bit. And, of course, the photographer, one shot at it, small-town uh, television, uh, stayed on me and didn't follow the pass to the receiver, so uh, nobody believed I could do uh, that stuff. That may be – that was the most painful experience. I might have passed that one up. But as far as other any other regrets, no. It, you know, it doesn't pay anyway, and 
I'd rather look forward than look backwards. That's wonderful. I will tell you what story we used to play. Though. Always we go out for the media day for that home runs for heart. So oh, yes. Go down. And it, so there was one night, uh, and they ended up showing it, but they didn't at first. I don't know what got in there. I got lucky on one. I mean, usually I wouldn't do that well. We got lucky. We hit one all the way off the wall. So, and oh, it, that's Gene, great. Gene Diaz, or is that? Yeah, Gene, Gene is now with the Astros. Yeah, he's the vice he president. He's with us. So I didn't get the longest hit because this guy's, I mean, he was hit more than one. He probably hit <laughs> Yeah. So I hit it to the wall. So they go, you know, our own Dr. Brian McDonough And I'm all excited. I told everybody, anybody I knew, you got to watch this. I hit it to the wall. They showed me swing and miss. And I was Oh, so I know. Don't you hate that? The next oh, night, I could strangle people. The next night, they, they showed me hit it to the wall. But when everybody was watching, they showed me swing and miss. And they all, yeah. you know, because <laughs> they knew. You know, the yuck, and you're like, could you at least show if I hit one? Well, I'm not, it doesn't happen often, but but the fun of the media and the fun of those things is, and you got it, the unique opportunities that you have that are just fun stories that I think make it interesting. Um, and my final question, um, advice sure. for somebody who's watching this and kind of wants either to get into broadcasting or they, they'd like to work for a professional or a college sports team. What I know there's no prescribed path but what do you suggest as the best way to uh at least have a chance of success well there's a whole new world that's not so new anymore but one of our vice presidents was one of the first sports marketing majors at umass uh, before many schools had that uh now that's a great uh, that's a great major for somebody who's interested um excuse me the best advice i think i would give is uh, our dear friend in heaven, Gary Papa, would always say to our interns, you're going to get a job. The only way you're not going to get a job is if you stop looking. Now, it may not be in a city where you, you want to go. It may be a very small city. It may not be exactly the opportunity you're looking for, but take it and learn from it and grow. And once you start having a body of work, you can move on. So I would say uh, internships are very, very important. Our interns are, are much different than any other interns in any business. We pay our interns and we give them benefits. We keep our interns at least a year and sometimes two. Now, sometimes they do leave early once they find out they're not going to be able to go to the shore on the weekends with their with their friends because we have a homestand. That's not for me. I don't think you wash them out. That's fine. But we learn best people, the best resource we have for any jobs that open come from our intern department. Uh, so I would definitely try to encourage people to get an internship. And you're not going to you're not going to be a general manager. You're not going to be the intern in the analytics department. First of all, you have enough of those people. We don't need any more people in the analytics department. That's something I would pay for if Dave Dombrowski ever watches the show. But again, I'm 72. I'm OK. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, I, in, in all seriousness, I would I would ask them and, and to please uh, be curious. I think that's really important. Uh, in anything that, that they want to do, but especially in this area, be curious about things. Uh, take almost any job because uh, it may lead to the next job. Uh, and the worst thing in the world is to be unemployed. You know, the, just get in with a minor league team, get in with a college sports information director. There's a lot of opportunities. Uh, and if you really want to find a job and you really want to work in uh, the sports industry, uh, there are jobs. They don't come around very often. And they usually go to the best people. But your job then is to make yourself one of the best people. Well, Scott Palmer, I want to thank you for taking the time to join the program. It was a real pleasure having you. And 
guess the alarm's going off, but it's really fun. But but thank you very much. <laughs> you are you are more than welcome, and I aspire to those those uh, Emmys you have up there. My son even has one. He works for NFL Network as a reporter. He's got his, an Emmy. His old man doesn't, but maybe one day. Well, I think you've had a remarkable career, and a lot of people will be envious. And, and thanks for all you've done, your contributions. And also, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show.